championships. We've won six championships in the last 11 years. We've been in the national championship game eight out of the last 11 years. We've been in the playoffs nine out of the last 11 years. We got more guys drafted than any school in the country. We had 64 guys playing in the league last year. The next school had 41. So we got way more players playing in the league than anybody else. So, um, and you know, everybody's going to tell you in recruiting, you know, oh, don't go to Alabama. You can play at our school before you can play there. They got all these good players there. Uh, you won't be able to play. You play at our place earlier. I think that's the worst stuff that people can tell you. Like, first of all, when they tell you that, they're first of all insulting you. Right? Because I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if you couldn't play here. Right. Number two, when they say you can play at our place before you can play at Alabama, they're just telling you Alabama's better than them. Yeah. Right, number two. All right, then number three right, is if you ask our players on our team, they'll tell you just the opposite. They'll tell you the competition may be better. Mm-hmm. You know, Marlon Humphrey will say, he played corner. First corner taken in the draft when he was a junior. Say, I had to cover Mario Cooper every day. Mario Cooper was the first receiver taken in the draft. Right. Right. Cam Robinson played left tackle here, won the Alpha Trophy. Jonathan Allen played for the Redskins. He was the right end. He won the Gerson. They practiced against each other every day for three years. Right. All those guys will tell you that made me better. Right. The competition made me better. The guy I practiced against was better than the guy I played in the game against. So don't listen to that. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm trying to tell you. I know the same for everybody. I everybody can't play for the Yankees, man. I mean, you know, I mean, you gotta want to be good. You gotta want to play with the best. You want to be the best. All right, so. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Welcome on in to Hardcore College Football. I hope you had a good weekend. And we are back in action. Today we are interviewing Brian Bauscher, Associate Athletic Director and CMO of the University of Washington. He's going to be talking to us about marketing and also and also the Pac-12, but also his seven-team playoff. If you saw my YouTube video, you know what I'm referring to. We're going to get into that interview in just a little bit first. We are going to talk about some college football news. College football news. Starting with, of course, that Nick Saban leaked recruiting pitch. And it's hard to really complain about what Nick Saban said there. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it it was phenomenal. I mean, how do you not go to that school when Nick Saban tells you what he just said in that in that little short clip that I put at the beginning of this episode? I mean... It's amazing, right? Like, why wouldn't you want to go play with the best? Why wouldn't you want to win a national championship? Why wouldn't you want to go to the NFL? That's basically what he's selling, and it's hard to argue with it. It really is hard to argue with it. Um, and, and no wonder that it's working because he continues to recruit really, really good recruiting classes. Speaking of recruiting classes, National Signing Day is Wednesday. Obviously, a lot of people have already signed, but there are some people that haven't signed. We're just going to name a few. Um, L.J. Johnson, four-star running back. He has to decide between Texas and Texas A&M. 
Brian Thomas Jr., four-star wide receiver between Texas A&M, maybe Alabama, and LSU. Destin Hill, a four-star wide receiver, most likely a Florida State lean. Rajon Davis, an outside linebacker, four-star, most likely USC, but LSU, Ohio State, Oregon, and Vanderbilt are all in the running for him still. Taiwan Malone, defensive tackle, four-star, Florida State, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Tarian Arnold, safety, four-star, Bama, Florida, Georgia. And Avante Dickerson, cornerback, four-star, between Nebraska and Oregon, possibly Minnesota, although he just uh, backed off his commitment from Minnesota. And so Nebraska's looking relatively decent for that as well. Um, so those are the guys to keep an eye on as we head into National Signing Day. There's one or two players that have already said they're not going to commit on National Signing Day, so um, those guys obviously maybe aren't as important. Um, and um, before we get into the actual interview, the only other news that I want to talk about, uh, Josh Heupel obviously hired at Tennessee. I think that would be a good hire. Not sure if I included that in the last pod or not. And Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl happened. Obviously, it wasn't as many names. A lot of people backed out. Uh, Kellen Mond from Texas A&M had a really good showing. Des Fitzpatrick, wide receiver for Louisville, had a really good showing. And some top-end speed, some good route running. And Michael Carter, running back from North Carolina, had a really good, just a really good weekend in general. Um, put together some really good days. People were very impressed with him. And so those guys probably all made themselves a lot of money. Not a single positive COVID test, I believe. Over 3,000-something tests were done in those last three days at the Senior Bowl. So that's also good news. And with that being said, guys, we are going to get into the interview with Brian Bauscher. And he's going to enlighten us. He's going to really teach us a couple of cool things about marketing and what his job is and what he does and kind of compare and contrast it from what, where he's been. And it's a really great interview. I, of course, I recorded this prior to this uh, recording. It was recorded on Friday, so not too long ago. I hope you enjoy it. If you want more college football information, whatever the case may be, go check out our website. And otherwise, you can find me on Twitch, playing Simply Football 14. You can obviously find me on Twitter, Hardcore CFB. And if you want to talk college football, make sure to join the Discord for free. Um, there's links pretty much everywhere. So um, with that being said, let's get right into the interview here with Brian. Welcome into Hardcore College Football. Now on to the show is Associate Athletic Director and Chief Marketing Officer Brian Bauscher with the University of Washington. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me, Corey. Yeah, no, thank you for coming on the show. And my uh, audience isn't as familiar with the ins and outs of basically how you guys do your job. We've had a couple people on the show before, um, but really nobody really quite understands all of the marketing strategy, all the things that kind of go behind the scenes. So just to kind of give a, a bare minimum of what you actually do in your day to day job, I know it's hard to really kind of minimize it down to a couple sentences, um, but basically what, what is your position and what do you do every day? Great, great question. I think the best way to maybe boil it down is to look at it in, there's really three uh, general buckets. Uh, I oversee our creative department, which is all of our creative video and graphic design and social media. Uh, in our digital engagements. Um, then we have our game presentation, which is really all of the all of the things that go into putting an event together. So it's 
scripting all of the different timeouts, uh, whether it's at football or basketball or really all of our events. Uh, every timeout is scripted with different elements on the video board or on-field promotions or recognitions or things like that. Um, and then the third bucket is uh, really what we call our outreach. So it's uh, community engagement as well as our advertising and uh, our group works really closely with our uh, ticket sales department as well. So kind of in a nutshell, it's really those three areas are our primary focus. And are those three buckets that you just mentioned, which is the one you spend the most time in? And then which one do you probably uh, see yourself excelling in the most or which one are you most looking forward to do out of those three things? Oh, good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's kind of a cliche to say, but really the cool thing about working in college athletics is that no, no day is, is the same. And well, I guess I should say the, maybe the last 10 months, 11 months of, of COVID have been uh, oddly uh, groundhog uh, day uh, reminiscent. But uh, in normal times, let's say, you know, so much of what your day to day looks like is dependent upon the season, which is really what makes it fun and keeps it keeps it engaging. Um, <clears throat> probably the most fun, though, is, is really working with the creative team and when we get to really dive into some creative projects, either through different storytelling, uh, uh, like video series campaigns, things like that, um, or anytime we're planning like a really um, uh, creative campaign around a season ticket on sale um, or, or, um, or maybe a new coach or, or things like that. Well, we can really get creative. That's, uh, that's what's really most fun for me. Yeah. And I'm sure you had to be pretty creative this year. We'll get into 2020 a little bit later. Um, and maybe the strategy behind what you had to do, what you have to do in the future. But, but first I, I actually ended up Googling and doing some research on just CMOs in general. And the one thing that kind of kept popping up is how the CMO title is, is almost an unfair title because it, it's almost like too much is expected as far as abstractly, but then when it boils down to what the actual action is, it's really hard to pinpoint and it's really hard to, uh, to measure someone's success. So I guess the question is, how do you pro properly blend um, the marketing thought process and, and maybe the um, intellectual side of things into actual action? Like how do you actually go from, oh, this is a good idea, then actually making it happen? Well, I think the cool thing about sports marketing is that there are results to to some degree, maybe even more so than than in general general business. But whether it's we're working on maybe selling out a big game, or if when it comes to creative contents, you know, it could be uh, just general engagement metrics, uh, you know, views on a video or social media engagement or something like that. There really is kind of a, a a scorecard or a scoreboard, or you're always kind of working towards something. So I think that's the cool thing about sports uh, or working in sports really is that kind of competitive element where, you know, obviously we want to put our teams and our programs and our student athletes in the best position to succeed through, you know, really helping either helping with recruiting or helping, you know, fill the stands so that we've got the best home field advantage or whatnot. But um, really the best and most exciting part is when, uh, you know, you're working really hard towards some kind of uh, some kind of an end date, whether that's a game or or an on sale or something like that. And then you put all of your energy into this moment uh, to be able to put your student athletes, you know, in position to be to be successful, to have the best home field advantage, home court advantage. Um, and then when you get to see that come to life, um, that is like the absolute uh, best feeling. And really as a department, as a marketing department, but just working in tandem with our coaches and our programs, 
where we can really all kind of be pulling in the same direction. That's uh, that's that's the magic stuff right there. Yeah, I can only imagine when it's all said and done and you kind of just get to sit back and enjoy it, it is pretty magical. How much do um, – you said coaches, you get to involved with the coaches. How much do the coaches actually have leeway or, or pull on – on certain things you guys do with them? I mean, can they go, hey, this would be a really cool recruiting idea, um, it's in compliance, and you guys just go after it, or, or do they not really just come up to you with an idea? Or how, do, how does that relationship work? Yeah, really every coach is a little bit different and have kind of their own uh, different particular preferences and what they like to see and what's important to them. So we meet with all of our coaches um, at the beginning of their season to kind of get just a download about what's the state of your program? You know, what are you trying to achieve? What does success look like to you? Um, but then also, yeah, what are some of the initiatives that we as a marketing staff or, or, a, or a digital staff can help with? And they'll usually rattle off two or three, um, two or three things that we can then go back um, <clears throat> as our staff and really put a plan together that, that serves what they're, what they're looking for. But um, honestly, yeah, it runs, it runs the gamut. Um, you know, Chris Peterson um, <clears throat> had some very particular preferences for what he liked and what he didn't like, but for the most part, he was pretty hands off and he was pretty uh, focused on on his team as 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 he should be. Um, and what we're finding with uh, Coach Lake is he's a little more aggressive when it comes to um, having ideas and, and wanting to wanting to try some new things, which is great too. Um, you know, both styles uh, can be really can be really effective. You know, sometimes sometimes it's helpful uh, for the coach to be totally hands off. And, and in, in those cases, you know, we pretty much have leeway to, um, you know, operate in alignment with what their values are, but doing things that, that we think best serve uh, their ambitions. And sometimes, you know, it's great to have a coach who's like really involved and wants to help and wants to do a whole, whole bunch of stuff. So, you know, <laughs> um, like you said, uh, being being in in a marketing role requires you to have the flexibility to be able to kind of uh, manage uh, both both types of situations. Yeah, I can only imagine maybe how awkward it would be if you have a really hands on coach that just really sucks at being creative and is just like, okay, man, like. <laughs> that happens too. I won't name I won't name any names. And uh, I, I, yeah, that's not even not even the case here. But there certainly are those coaches out there, and sometimes it's uh, the marketing community is kind of a small one too. So. You, can kind of trade some uh, some war stories uh, at, at the annual convention too. Can you believe coach coach had this idea? Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. <laughs> so there's some fun stories uh, for sure. Can you maybe spill the tea a little bit more? Is is Coach Lake more open, um, maybe more of an open book to allowing players to be a part of it as much as they can than Peterson, or are they about the same? Or <clears throat> I I think so. We're we're seeing signs of that. And again, this year was just so different and so crazy that um it's really hard i mean it's almost a little bit of a mulligan year especially when it comes to those types of things and just even our you know our staff's access to to the players to get content or videos or whatnot was so limited due to all of the you know very real and reasonable uh covid restrictions so um it's hard to it's hard to judge uh too much too soon but but yeah just in terms of his kind of approach to um you know really building the program in in his vision and uh, according to his personality is really exciting and i think has been a, a good source of an infusion of energy into uh into our program and um boy just can't wait for us to kind of get back to normal and, and see what the future brings yeah so i mean if you take Maybe let's just say he has a little bit more excitement, a little bit more, you know, outgoing personality. I mean, how do you 
use that to your advantage when you begin to, to market the football team, to market a new head football coach? Yeah. <clears throat> well, the coaches, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's uh, another, to use another cliche, the, you know, the team takes on the personality of your head coach. Um, I think the same is true for an entire department. And uh, I think uh, to a certain extent, probably for, for our team here in marketing as well, you, you kind of look to, you kind of look to your leader, kind of look to your, you know, most, most prominent, uh, you know, personality to kind of set the tone and set the table. Um, and so for someone with uh, Coach Lake's just infectious, energetic uh, attitude and personality um, is going to be really helpful and, and I think really exciting. And then the other thing just to, boy, just keep in mind is just how, how involves, like you talk about, you know, marketing jobs running, running the gamut. I mean, the job responsibilities of a major division one head football coach is crazy. You know, not only are you the head football coach, obviously, and the X's and O's, but, you know, you're really kind of the general manager in terms of player personnel and identifying talent and recruiting strategy uh, you're in charge of dozens, if not more, uh, personnel on, in your entire staff of coaches and um, and other assistants and whatnot, and then also just all the marketing and yeah, PR that a coach has to do. You've got to be you know really well spoken and make sure that you know you're always saying the right thing when you're on when you're on podcasts like this and when you're at press conferences. Like the job of being a, a head football coach today is just is is just mammoth, and uh, I think that's one of the things that we're just so lucky to have uh, coach Lake here is like he checks all of those boxes and obviously he's just a, a first year head coach at this point and um you know we've got a lot of a lot of games uh, a lot of football left to play uh, in his career as uh, has, uh head, head coach of the huskies but um you know one of the things that that makes him just such a dynamic leader is his ability to navigate through all of those uh, all of those issues and handle all of those responsibilities that being the head coach at dales that was a fantastic recruiting pitch. I mean, does he have you guys out on the trail? Because that was impressive. <laughs> We're happy to. Um, now, but for real, I mean, obviously there's a lot of variables of being a head coach, but there's also a lot of variables at your position. When you're formulating a new marketing strategy or, or you're saying, okay, you know, we want to market up this head football coach or we need to sell X amount of bowl tickets, whatever the case may be, what are the different variables that are kind of going into that decision? What are you looking at first and, and how do you start checking off those boxes as you go through them? Well, every, every project's a little bit different, right? So really you just start with what is, what is the problem and what are we trying to achieve? And then how do we know if we're achieving what we set out to achieve? Like what are those, what are those benchmarks? Um, and then you get into just the organization of, of timing. Like what do we need to achieve by when? Um, and so you, you, you try to, um, try to just kind of get, get in front of, uh, of creating the plan, uh, on the outset. So that once you get into it, everyone is in alignment, everyone knows what they need to do and then you just get after it. Okay. What about, let's be more specific here. Let's say, um, let's say I'm the head football coach. I come in and say, Hey, I want to have, I don't know, 25,000 more people in the stands. Let's just say you're under capacity by 25,000. I want 25,000 more people in the stands. And then he hangs up the phone. Who's the first person you're calling? <laughs> um, oh, I should say we're, uh, we're, we're at or very near sold out for, for all of our games. So lucky enough uh, that that hasn't been an issue and, uh, and, uh, and not been, not been an, an objective uh, thus far, which is not to say that uh, we don't always have uh, more seats to fill. But having said that, 
Um, I think you always start with in a project like that. You think of you think of your audience, um, <clears throat> right? So if we have yeah, if we have any significant number of tickets to sell, um, before you just jump into the tactics, and there are you know so many different tactics that that you could take, you need to identify you know okay, what's um, who are the people who might possibly fill those seats? Is it you know past buyers who don't currently have tickets? Um, is it, you know, are there groups that we can go after who might show some affinity to football, but they haven't come out uh, to games before? You know, are we really going after Seahawks fans and trying to convert them to being Husky fans? Um, you, you know, you really just have to kind of survey the market and identify really where your opportunities are. Um, and then from there, you can really tailor a message and a method to reach out to those particular groups. So it kind of becomes... You know, you're uh, unless there's unless we can get a hold of uh, Jeff Bezos at Amazon and say like, hey, bro, help us out by twenty five thousand tickets, which maybe he would. <laughs> uh, he certainly has the money uh, to buy uh, that and then some. Um, <clears throat> you know, you kind of have to um, build uh, build the pyramid uh, together, kind of kind of piece by piece. Um, so it's uh, maybe a little more of a methodical um, approach to where those opportunities might lie. Okay, that makes sense. We're gonna we're gonna shift a little bit here, and this is gonna be a little bit of a tougher question to answer. But obviously, when it comes to your job, you're trying to get for the most part people into the seats or to people to buy things. Twenty twenty is kind of a wash as far as knowing what the stadium attendance was going to be. But in twenty nineteen, we did see a dip in attendance, um, and it's not been the slow nationwide since nineteen ninety six. Obviously. Some programs hurt worse than others. The Pac-12 saw a 0.8% decrease uh, from 2018. How do you guys, How well, first of all, how often or how much do you guys really take those numbers into account? Does Did Washington see a big uh, reduction from 2018 to 2019? Um, and, and then if you do care about those numbers, I mean, what's the answer? What's the response to that? Yeah, no, it's tremendously concerning. And um, I think that's been a national trend that's been um, picking up steam, if anything, over the course of the last decade or so. And is certainly not uh, exclusive to, to Washington, though, though we saw a, a similar dip from 2019 to 20, uh, going back to 2018. Yeah, it's, I think, just reflective of some of the just shifting behaviors of, like, around, around the country, you know. There's so much entertainment options available to, to us in so many different ways uh, that didn't exist 10 years ago, let alone 40 years ago, right? And so college athletics and live sports in general has to adapt and, uh, and account for that. So there's, again, similarly, so many different tactics and so many different possibilities uh, to, to potentially implement to, to stave that off. And you're seeing um, you know, examples of that across the country, particularly in, in pro sports tends to be a little bit ahead of college um, in a lot of cases when it comes to kind of keeping up with the times and adapting and whatnot um, for, for a variety of reasons. But, you know, you look uh, locally here to the to the Mariners um, and Major League Baseball, I think, has generally done a pretty good job of this is modifying their stadiums to better account for the kind of social nature that fans are are looking for you know i i think at least as it stands right now we're trending in the direction where 
you know, fans aren't looking to just simply go to a stadium, sit in their bleacher for three hours and, and leave anymore. They're looking for different social uh, experiences and opportunities to get together and make going to the game more of a social event as much as it is just watching watching the game for the entire game. And so I think baseball's really gotten out in front of this, um, particularly over the last couple of years with a number of different uh, organizations where they're renovating their stadium to kind of build these like social spaces. The Mariners have their bullpen area, which is really just a cool kind of like hangout uh, area in center field and teams across the country have been doing this. So I think that's, again, as a, as a tactic, as an element uh, in order to account for that, um, particularly as, you know, <clears throat> a lot of our season ticket holders tend to be a little bit older and the, the younger audience uh, millennials and uh, students who are in college right now are kind of have come to expect those different um, experiences because again, like, you know, we're, we're competing, not just against a lot of people, you know, tend to ask like, are you competing against the Mariners or the, or the Seahawks? And maybe to a small degree we are, but really we're competing against Netflix and uh, HBO max and going to the movies. And well, I guess all these, all all of the things that you were able to do, uh, you know, pre pandemic now we're all just kind of confined to our homes, but really that's what we're trying to, we're trying to get people to come out and support the Huskies coming to a game in person um, rather than watch on TV. Now you, you've mentioned a couple times now, the Seahawks and Mariners, how much of an influence do they have on the university of Washington and is there a conversion rate? Do you guys have numbers on, on, on how many people you're able to kind of maybe swing over to a Huskies event um, that maybe wouldn't have in the past and would have stuck into the professional professional sports? <clears throat> yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, it's uh, I think for one, we've got a really cool community vibe amongst all of the certainly uh, my peers at all of those organizations. And I think uh, amongst our fans, too, there's uh not a con- not a competitive element, but a desire to see everyone do well and an understanding that, you know, when sports are top of mind and when the community is enthused about a sports team, whether it's, again, Seahawks, Sounders, whoever, that's just good for the community. And that's what that's the place that that we all um, that we all have here. So. I don't know that there's a, a huge amount of overlap. You'll see it a little bit when in some rare instances, uh, I think maybe two years ago, the Sounders had a playoff match at the same time. We had a football game. So there are a couple a couple instances where there's a little bit of overlap, um, obviously, between the Seahawks and us playing predominantly on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, not, so, not so much there. Um, it will be interesting once the Seattle Kraken of the NHL uh, enter enter the mix, and we've had a couple calls uh, with some of some of their leadership, and just really excited uh, in general to have uh, a pro hockey team in town, um, and all that will mean for the city. And then, you know, fingers crossed, uh, maybe hopefully a few years down the road, the Sonics will make their way back. Um, <clears throat> obviously, things will start to get maybe even more crowded uh, when you when you uh, enter two more professional sports teams. But at least as it as it stands right now, we've got a very uh, cordial, collegial, supportive uh, relationship with with all of those teams. Now, you talked about the community you have there um, in the Seattle area. You worked in the University of Miami in Miami, Florida. Can you kind of juxtapose those the the uh, the difference there between Miami and and where you're at now, and, and maybe 
how you're able to market, if there is a marketing difference between the two? Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's very different. And in some ways, it's actually very, very similar. Um, start with the similarities. I think the fact of being a prominent Division One intercollegiate athletics program with proud traditions and uh, football in particular, but really all sports in a major metro pro market makes the tactics of the job very similar. Um, you know, to, to some degree, you're kind of uh, fighting for attention uh, in a way. Again, it's just it's it's crowded. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to do in uh, Seattle, of course, and there's a lot to do in Miami, too. We were, you know, we don't really have to compete against the beach uh, here in Seattle, but <laughs> we certainly did at, at Miami. That's just <laughs> another thing that, you know, a, a potential fan could choose to do on a on a Saturday afternoon. So. A lot of those elements are are similar, and so we have to be a little more uh, creative and a little more sophisticated at times, uh, particularly in, in things like advertising and a lot of our kind of communication strategies to reach fans um, in ways that if you were in, say, like a, a college town where maybe you were like the dominant uh, entertainment option in choice or just like the dominant you know source of uh, social conversation uh, that you may not need to if you're let's just say in Tuscaloosa or state college. Uh, <clears throat> and so from those, from those aspects, it's, it's very similar. I think culturally and just in terms of um, just kind of the, you know, the personality of the city is what's very different and um, in, in pretty, pretty opposite ways, actually, you know, the kind of blue collar, humble kind of down to earth, uh, Seattle, uh, Seattle resident, uh, not to paint with too broad of a brush, but, um, there's definitely, uh, kind of this, uh, kind of that ethos here in town, um, that in Miami, you know, is proudly, um, let's say extravagant, <laughs> right. Um, yes. you know, South beach, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's some fun to be had on, you know, on, on, on South beach. And there's, uh, again, kind of a lifestyle about, you know, living it up that again, it's not to say that, uh, people here don't, don't like, uh, you know, they have a good time as well, but it's those types of things that are maybe a little bit different. So, um, really understanding what makes your organization unique and say in this case, an athletics department and a fan base, um, is, really critical to the job of marketing for sure. Yeah, let's kind of flip the uh, script here. We had Brad Keenan from IMG uh, Learfield and he came on, he talked to us about his partnership. Basically, you know, they for people that didn't see that episode, just multimedia rights. From my understanding, every university sort of uses them differently and how they partner with them. Um, how much do you know about what Washington does with them and, and how much do you interact with them um, with your job? Yeah, uh, our, our involvement is heavily on the sponsorship activation uh, piece. So uh, IMG Learfield, they uh, effectively own our uh, multimedia rights, which is kind of a fancy way of saying that they manage all of our corporate sponsors. And so really where uh, we come in is on the activation side. So um you know, the sponsorship group will sit, come to us and say, like, hey, we're working on this project with, um, I'll say Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks wants to accomplish, you know, these three these three things. They really want to uh, build brand loyalty and they want to promote the app. And we said that we could help do that for them. 
how do you think that we can help do that for them? <laughs> so then our, our team will kind of kick around a couple ideas and say, you know, well, you know, we can, uh, you know, do this promotion on the video board and we can build this uh, landing page hosted on gohuskies.com and we can uh, help promote uh, some of those initiatives. And they're like, cool. And then they go back to uh, Starbucks. Uh, they hopefully sign off on it or they'll uh, come back with some other ideas. Um, and then usually that's how it, it kind of comes to be. But uh, um, <clears throat> definitely creates uh, again uh, going back to the one of your first questions about you know what 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 are some of the, the the fun parts of the job it's really being able to to come up with creative ideas um, that both serve our fans and um, certainly the last thing that we want to do is um, make anyone feel like they're being um, you know just served commercials right like <clears throat> in, in any of those activations really what we want to do is do something that um, that adds value uh, both to our season ticket holders and in our fans, um, but being able to have some fun and, and create some either cool content or opportunities to do that through sponsorship is uh, is definitely a fun part of the job. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the brilliant part of your job. I mean, that right there just seems like it's so so challenging at times that you don't want to just spoon feed people these commercials and you want to make everything that you do interesting. But sometimes like you just have to get the information in the commercial side of things out there. Um, and I'm just so fascinated and, and I'm really impressed on, on how you guys are able to do that. It's a balance to be sure, because yeah, the sponsor has, has its interests and, uh, you know, our, our interest is in serving, in serving our fans. And oftentimes we can come up with ways, uh, to create a win-win and, Again, that's that's kind of what we're always always going for. Sometimes, uh, you know, may not hit the mark uh, dead on, and uh, you know, you learn from those and and you move on. But um, really, that's the that's the goal of any of these arrangements. Well, let's kind of stick on to the endorsement sponsor side of things here. And the Pac-12 is actually more ahead than uh, most conferences in some sort of player rights, some sort of way where these players. Uh, can begin to basically be representative, uh, represent themselves, be represented uh, as basically employees of some shape, form. Obviously, we're probably years away from something being 100% official, um, whether that's some sort of endorsements that they are allowed to achieve on their own or whether that's payment through the university. Have you guys started having those conversations about how we can begin? Like, let's say a recruit is like, hey, I, I think I'll be able to make a bunch of money if I come to your school. How can you, you know, show me off? How can you find me money? Is that a conversation that's happened yet? Or are you guys beginning to think of maybe portfolios that you could put together? Or is there like a superstar package? I mean, is that something that's even come across your mind? I mean, there's still so much left to be determined, both at the NCAA level and, um, you know, Increasingly at the federal federal government uh, level, which is uh, is it's I guess as a kind of overall statement, certainly there's lots that's going to be changing in the world of college sports over the next shoot five years, let alone 10, 10 15 years. So we are absolutely uh, giving a whole lot of thought to how to be best positioned for when those changes make. Are, are, are made and, and implemented and um, working on a couple different uh, projects that can maybe kind of speak to what you're saying. I wouldn't say that um, <clears throat> and I wouldn't say that uh, any, anyone or at least not here at Washington is being so direct as to say that you know our your, your value is, is is X and here's how we're going to achieve that. Um, <clears throat> and again, it just kind of gets back to 
the spirit of what this enterprise is about. Um, and that's about education and developing young people to be successful in the rest of their lives. And so that's really the approach that we are leaning into even further uh, with educational programming, um, partnerships, uh, internships and whatnot with all of the uh, global businesses that are in our backyard here um, and really putting a compelling uh, presentation in front of potential recruits about like, look, we don't know exactly what NIL's uh, name, image, likeness and what pending uh, NCA and federal uh, legislation is going to bring. But <clears throat> what we can say is you're going to get an unbelievable experience here at the University of Washington. You're going to be set up for the rest of your life. Um, we're going to craft opportunities uh, for you based off of your uh, educational interests and whatnot. And we're going to provide you with all the information that you need to be successful uh, in whatever comes. And so um, really think that that's the most authentic and true to our, our value set um, in terms of, um, again, just kind of what, what we're about and um, really, again, why we exist here as an athletics department. And that's to develop, uh, develop students, develop young people into um, being the best versions of themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that could be possibly changing in just your conference now with Commissioner Larry Scott um, being dismissed or, or whatever you concluded, I believe is a proper term. Um, he did a lot of different things uh, for the Pac-12, um, but one of the things that he was sort of um, pressed on was the fact that, hey, the TV contracts and things like that were, were way too long. Everyone else has basically rebranded um, and re-signed, and the Pac-12 is kind of being left in the dark here, uh, at least compared to the Big, the Big Ten and the SEC. Would have you guys had conversations as a conference? Are there marketing conferences that you guys go to to figure out how you can better attract um, Pac-12 audiences and also audiences nationwide um, and, uh, and maybe get more people to, to show up? Because the Pac-12, I mean, there's no secret. They're playing catch up as far as just time zone. Um, is that a conversation that's, that is happening around the conference, especially with um, with people like yourselves? Well, this is certainly an important, um, I mean, I said five years earlier with, uh, with the NCA, this is probably a two year, three year, um, critical period for, for us as a conference right now, as we head into, uh, the renegotiation of the, of the, of the television rights deal. Um, <clears throat> as far as, uh, yeah, how to best, uh, solve the geographical issues. Uh, that one's that's a tough one. We we certainly are disadvantaged just uh, from that perspective. But no, I mean I think um, this is going to be a huge um, this is a huge hire for uh, our university presidents and make sure that we have the right person uh, in place as commissioner who understands the understands the moment, understands the very particular. Uh, issues and, and challenges and needs and, and opportunities amongst uh, all of our different all of our different schools and um, really how we can kind of get back uh, to being um, you know nationally nationally respected uh, in the way that I think we all recognize is, is not quite um, at that point uh, over the past uh, past couple of years but the, the really the good thing is that you know we've got all of the We've got the history, the historical levels of support. 
Um, we're in incredible markets uh, across across the country, and you know, really, all 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 it takes is you know just uh, a, a good year or a couple breaks, um, and again, certainly, obviously, the right uh, organizational mission uh, and leadership um, from from the conference that that can pull all of our uh, all of our member schools together in the right way. Uh, but yeah, there's no question. This is uh, this is we're entering a, a pretty critical uh, stretch here uh, as a conference. Yeah, and it probably didn't help any with 2020 being the way it is. And what did you guys do differently? And if you were to grade yourself, how would you grade um, your own department on how well it not only just got the information out there, but how well it educated, it, and then obviously the conversion rate um, because it was insane. But when I've talked to other people, it seems like people did better than they expected to boy i mean it's uh there's a couple different ways uh to answer that probably on uh kind of a departmental level on kind of an individual level i mean certainly just as a um and as myself as a manager and uh overseeing overseeing our staff i mean this is this has been hard on on everybody it's been incredibly hard on student athletes and, and coaches and um, wanting to play, um, but with all the yeah, just all the all the challenges uh, that 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 goes goes into testing and all the all the protocols to make sure that uh, they can safely do so. Um, <clears throat> certainly, it was great to have the opportunity to play. Uh, to you know, when there was uh, looked like a very real chance that Pac-12 football wasn't going to be taking place this this year, that was uh, obviously a, a really really hard day. Um, but then to be able to get, you know, we ended up having, having four games, uh, going three and one, having the opportunity to have the, uh, I believe it was the second largest comeback in the history of Husky stadium. Uh, we were down 21, nothing to Utah and came back and won. Um, and having that moment and that kind of celebration, uh, afterwards, um, at least having kind of those, those moments as a team, uh, to be able to, you know, again, fight through all the challenges that, uh, that we had to face this year and then to kind of get those celebratory moments, uh, definitely, um, you know, kind of validated, uh, or it was just, you just feel good for coach Lake and for the, and for the guys to be able to have that experience. Um, <clears throat> I think only, only time will tell what the long-term impacts of this year has been again. And, uh, not to be too grand, but just uh, from a uh, uh, not just industry wide, but just in terms of society and um, just what the what the impacts of, of this year will end up being in, in so many different ways. It's just hard to even kind of wrap your mind around at this point. Uh, it seems like hopefully maybe it's uh, we're, we're nearing the end of it. But um, I think it's honestly it's going to just take a couple of years to be able to zoom out and be like, wow, what you know, what just happened? Yeah, was there anything specifically that you guys went to or, or changed because of COVID that you probably won't ever go back to now? Um, whether it's maybe some sort of ticket promotion or or what have you? Uh, I was going to say fan cutouts. Uh, people people really enjoy them. <laughs> Glad we uh, gave people the opportunity to uh, have their two-dimensional selves uh, in the stands and people really fired up for that opportunity. But, uh, you know, I think that's, that's maybe the, uh, the visual representation of, of 2020 that I hope we never have to see again. If we're, if we're printing and selling cardboard cutouts uh, to fans uh, uh, anytime soon, something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. 
All right, so the, we can finally have some fun and some more hypothetical college football talk. So let's get into your seven-team playoff here. And before we start, I just want to you know start this off by saying I 100% agree with you. Uh, and I said that in, in my YouTube video, but for the people that don't aren't aware, um, Brian's seven-team playoff, which you can find the entire link on LinkedIn, which I will put in the description of this episode, uh, as well as share it again on Twitter at Hardcore CFB. Um, basically, his seven-team playoff is seven teams, all five Power Five champions, the highest-ranked Group of Five team, with a possible Group of Five play-in if you want to get fancy, and then one at-birth bid. The rules would be that the number one seed would get a buy. Three through four would host the first round. Five through seven would obviously go on the road. The kind of key factor to this, to, to this though, is the at-large bid uh, cannot be ranked any higher than fifth. So they would basically have to be on the road um, regardless of how good they might be. Um, and then after that first round, it's, it's reseeding. So basically the number one seed still would face the worst opponent heading into the semifinal. So um, with that being said, Brian, the floor is yours. Why did, why, what is it? Did I miss anything? And then why do you want it this way? No, you, you nailed it. And I thought, um, yeah, your, your recap uh, last week was uh, so spot on and, and really couldn't have made the case any, any better uh, myself than, than you did uh, on, on your last show. Um, <clears throat> really, I just uh, got to the point where and this has been an idea that I've just been kind of kicking around in my head for, for the past couple of years. And uh, as we continue to sit here in, in quarantine lockdown, just had a little extra time to, uh, to lay out the case and make the argument and put it out there and see, uh, see if anyone uh, might like to read it. So uh, first and foremost, thanks for, uh, thanks for noticing it. And, and uh, it's definitely fun, fun to talk about. I think, again, anyone who is a college football fan to any degree has has an opinion, right, on on on, uh, on the college football playoff, and uh, like I kind of said in, in my piece, that's part of what makes college football fun is that we can have these arguments and discussions and debates, and um, it's just kind of intrinsic to the sport. So uh, always love just kind of uh, having some rumbles about uh, really what is best for the sport, and that's kind of the the case that I uh, hopefully tried to to set out a little bit before even just jumping into. You know the particular tactics um, or constructs of the playoff itself. You know it's it's really easy to say like, well, it should be seven, it should be eight, it should be twelve. Um, but really, I think what is important uh, in terms of just making a case for one or the other is just start with like, okay, what are we what are we hoping to achieve, right? Like, what is the problem, um, and what are some of the things that we especially love about college football that we want to do more of. And then once you establish and hopefully come to come to agreement on a vision for what we want college football to be and to look like, from there you can design a playoff that better aligns with that vision, right? And so I think, uh, and again, you you nailed it. It's um, we want the regular season to matter. We want every game to have some stakes attached, to have some level of importance. Uh, you know, for the history of college football, it's uh, it's the the spirit of these uh, you know historical rivalries that matters so much. Um, and ultimately, winning your conference championship is kind of the the prize that 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 you're playing for. 
Um, and then even beyond that, we're, we're seeing fewer marquee non-conference games uh, scheduled for, um, I think, <clears throat> the the incentive structure around the playoff right now is you just you need to minimize your losses, right? Like if you have a second loss uh, thus far, at least that's really uh, excluded you from the playoffs. So teams really aren't um, aren't incentivized to schedule a whole bunch of like really competitive non-conference games. Um, and that's kind of a bummer too, right? Like what's better than, you know, having, uh, you know, <clears throat> we were supposed uh, Washington here. We we're supposed to play Michigan uh, this year. Oregon was supposed to play Ohio state. Those big marquee non-conference uh, pre uh, conference games um, are really fun. And so how can we create a structure that uh, better aligns and uh, in, in flips the incentive structure that, that makes it such the teams are more willing to, to schedule those types of games. So, um, Really, once you kind of, uh, uh, again, uh, lay out the vision for what you want um, and think college football can be and what can be an enhancement for uh, for the sport, um, try to make the case that a 17 playoff is, is the magic number for, for what brings those outcomes about. What was your overall response to that post that you had? Obviously, it landed you here right now, but... What was what was the overall I guess general consensus? Was it positive? Was it negative? And then, um, as far as rebuttals, what was the largest rebuttal? Was the largest rebuttal rebuttal eight teams? Was it sixteen teams? Yeah, well, it certainly again no greater honor than being a guest on the Hardcore College Football Podcast. So that certainly is the number one greatest response. Um, no, I think um, I think there was a, a variety of comments um, to to the piece. I, I, I think some um, genuine and I think uh, realistic uh, concern around some of the other group uh, group of five uh, conference champions uh, in terms of being represented. Um, and I think just kind of generally, you know, anytime you, you hear talk about playoff expansion, right, there seems to be kind of an automatic default that, well, it's going to go to eight. Like it's if it's going to expand, it's going to go to eight as if, you know, call it, as if a playoff structure can only exist uh, in uh, in teams divisible by four. <laughs> right. And so uh, <laughs> that was one of the notions that I tried to push back on a little bit in terms of thinking through like, like, OK, does it have like, why does it have to be? eight, um, you know, and try to make the case that the seven was actually a little more efficient in terms of better aligning with, um, again, the priorities in making every seed line count. Um, and then also just in terms of uh, making access still something that's aspirational, that's, um, you know, really that, that you maximize the importance of the regular season and keep that kind of spirit that every game in the regular season is, is a playoff unto itself. Um, obviously, the wider you make the playoff, um, the more you water down some of those games in the regular season, which I thought going from seven to eight, even even that one extra team would would uh, too drastically water down some of those big games in the regular season. Did you have people come after you and say, no, 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 it's still not. Um, it's still not good enough because it, you need more teams like one representative from the G5 isn't enough. You need to be able to give people a real chance. It's not fair, for example, for the play in for a G5 that, hey, um, why should the G5 have to play in to even get into the playoff when no one else is? And then on top of that, the argument I keep hearing is, well, things might be watered down at first, but eventually over time, that may even out. 
Yeah, I think I'm 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 sympathetic to to the underdog uh, as I'm also as I think probably everyone is a huge college basketball fan and and uh, and uh, lover of the of March Madness. Man, when there's a when there's a great uh, you know 12-5 upset, um, some school that maybe you've never heard of that's knocking off a power conference team like that's those, those are awesome memories. Um, so uh, I think there was uh, yeah one 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 comment uh, uh, to the post uh, suggesting a, t- uh, a uh, 12 team playoff where all 10 conference champions uh, were given automatic berths. As a fan, I'm here for that. <laughs> I've got no, uh, I, I, I would absolutely be uh, down to watch, uh, you know, who would, what would that, what would, yeah, what would, what would that be this year? Like a, a Marshall play a Coastal Carolina in the first round of a playoff. Like, I love right. it. I'm, <laughs> I'm into that. Um, try to also just think through, you know, again, kind of said at the, at the beginning of this call on, on, on another topic, you know, college athletics is kind of slow to change not kind of college athletics is slow to change. Right. So, um, any, I just tried to kind of keep that in mind a little bit when, um, proposing an alternate model where it's gotta be kind of an incremental, um, incremental move. So, um, again, for, for, for better or worse, the group of five, uh, there hasn't been a group of five rep, uh, representative in the playoff thus far. If we can create a system that at least guarantees one, that would be a step in the right direction probably unreal unrealistic just again this is me as a as a fan just talking here not as you know not in an official capacity but just as a as a fan of the sport probably seems unrealistic to expect that you know we're going to go from zero automatic bids to 10 automatic bids you know all in one shot yeah and and i agree and what made me so interested in your post was i was always sitting there at six and i was like oh and i really didn't like eight i saw seven i was like oh this this should be interesting um but it, it is funny to be you know play hypothetical with it. But what um, I mean, do you see from your fan perspective? Do you see this changing anytime soon? Is there any push? I mean, you're at least round other college coaches. I mean, is there any sort of idea that hey, maybe we actually should expand this? Really, all I can all I can pick up on and, and detect is really just kind of the conversation from. Um, you know, some of the most respected uh, media outlets and, and, and beat reporters that cover the sport and uh, frankly probably talk to um, some of the leaders uh, in, in college athletics uh, far more than far more than I do and would have a better would have a better sense on it. But there does seem to be kind of a um, acceptance of expansion being inevitable. Again, I say that just as a outside observer and in a fan, not as, not as anyone uh, who, who would be involved in any of those discussions. Um, But um, through, I think I alluded to it in the piece, but from conversations or um, um, uh, articles and and comments by Kirk Herbstreet and and others, they really have, and it it felt um, a lot more prominent this year, even then, than in years past, despite just all of the kind of weirdness around uh, what this year was, um, just some frustration about how really just the playoff dominates all of the conversation, right? Um, that was kind of the kind of the starting point uh, in in the pieces. Um, you know, if the playoff is going, if every if every game, if every if the entire conversation around the sport is going to be dominated by who's in and who's not in. Um, and there's only four teams that can get in, and it, it tends to be the same teams year after year. That's not really that. Uh, it's probably not the best thing uh, for the sport, or at least I'm arguing that that's not the best thing for the sport. So um, it definitely seems like there's more momentum now than there has been in the past. But 
time remains to tell uh, if uh, if and when uh, there'll be any movement in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, eventually, but possibly, who knows, right? <laughs> That's the best kind of the best way to say it. But um, well, Brian, we uh, we really appreciate your time and sitting down and, and talking with us for for a while here and and really kind of giving us a nice little sneak peek in, into what you do. And and I, I tell you this, it's amazing how little people really know about all that goes on behind the scenes. And, and I know a lot of different people now in the marketing business, and I'm just fascinated every time that I get to talk to you guys. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, answering some questions for us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Well, I will uh, catch you later, guys. Make sure you go read that piece. It's not like there's a bunch of, there's not ads or anything. It's literally this guy's opinion. Um, and, and it's worth a couple minutes of your time. Like I said, we'll have that in the description for you. But um, Brian, appreciate you. Have a good one. Thanks. You too, Corey. All righty. Thank you again to Brian Bauscher for coming on and talking with us. Very fascinating, very impressive interview. Thank you very much to him. Thank you guys for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to head to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review and make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to podcasts. If you want to talk college football, make sure to join our Discord. You can also find me on any social media, including TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And that's all I have today. If you happen to have a story that you'd like to share about college football, or whatever the case may be, your experience, you can write me at hardcorecfb at gmail.com. I'm always interested in hearing your guys' stories. And with that being said, I think that will be it for this episode. So I hope you enjoyed this interview. And I will catch you next time here at Hardcore College Football. Stay hardcore, my friends.